Welcome to Life on Less Meds, a podcast that reveals the truth about drug side effects and the best strategies to manage them. And now your host, Dr. Yosef Wittering. Hi, I'm Dr. Yosef Wittering. It's my pleasure to be joined by Eric Livingston today. He is a volunteer for the PFS network, uh, and that is post-finasteride syndrome. And uh, it is a uh, it's a condition that causes a lot of neurological problems and sexual dysfunction, and it is um, really becoming a bigger and bigger deal. Um, and so Eric is going to talk to us about what PFS is and uh, you know some of the challenges in getting it recognized and then share his own story about PFS. So I'll, I'll turn it over to you, Eric, you know, and let, let you get started. Thanks for being here. To tell us, what, what, is, what is PFS? Well, thank you for having me, yeah. Joseph. So PFS really, it refers to a constellation of different symptoms that include neurological symptoms, physical symptoms, sexual symptoms. Uh, it's an extremely debilitating condition. There have been hundreds of recorded suicides as a result of PFS. And obviously, it can range in severity from just, quote unquote, you know, erectile dysfunction, which obviously is devastating in its own right, to, you know, 30 plus symptoms so mm -hmm. yeah it is um it is a very devastating multi-systemic syndrome yeah that's quite poorly understood unfortunately yeah and you know when when i think about pssd which is the post ssri sexual dysfunction um you know i know that they're often considered to be uh, very similar conditions you know mm. over time i i kind of see the core features of pssd as one you know there's genital numbness um but also uh there's what what i think is uh, emotional anesthesia now these people describe you know feeling no emotion and so that would probably be the most common thread among the people that i talk to and sure they can have other things um and so i wanted to get your perspective on uh you know are there like very common uh symptoms reported amongst uh, the pfs sufferers that um, kind of differ from that, you know, uh, constellation with the PSSD folks. Like, are there more cognitive problems? Are there kind of, you know, different things? What What's your, uh, yeah, general understanding of like how these PFS uh, folks really really present and what they complain about most most commonly? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I would say that it is very common to have sexual side effects or se sexual symptoms rather when when uh, dealing with with PFS um there however i would also say that from what i've seen cognitive issues are also quite common so okay. things like brain fog uh, just general cognitive dysfunction memory loss issues such as that seem to be quite prevalent as well i'd say in terms of divergence this is just Speaking anecdotally here, sure. based on my that's, observation. That's all, all, all there is right now, yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. It seems like um, PFS is, compared to PSSD, it seems like PFS more often entails uh, physical issues as well. And this can include, you know, genital changes. So genital shrinkage, things of this nature. I'm not sure mm -hmm. if I've observed this as much in terms of the patient testimony from the PSSD community, it seems like a, uh, a point of divergence. However, <laughs> there is uh, there is pretty remarkable overlap also with PAS arising mm -hmm. from Accutane usage. Mm -hmm. So uh, 
yeah, it seems like there is quite a bit of overlap, but PFS does seem to often be uh, more violent, so to speak, in respect to the physical symptoms. And when you say physical, you mean like actual changes, like genital changes, because, you know, I I have heard some people from PSSD uh, talk about like shrinkage and things Mm -hmm. like that. And, Mm -hmm. and, um, and so, um, are there any other physical changes apart from, I guess, the, the, the genital changes? Well, I can speak for myself. I mean, my beard growth has slowed down remarkably. So whereas in the past, if I wanted to be clean shaven, I would need to shave every other day. Whereas now I can go an entire month and my beard mm-hmm. growth is, is quite sparse. So that's obviously something that's very, you know, that's a physical manifestation of this of this disease. Um, there are also some patients on the very hard end of, of PFS who have osteoporosis. Um, there are some patients who have taken before and after photos where the physical changes are very, very prominent in terms of their bone structure, their physical, um, their facial mm-hmm. bone structure, including the prominence of their jaw, for example. So these are things that are quite easy to observe and um, are unmistakable, really. Um, yeah. Let, let me ask you a few more questions on that because I think that's really interesting. Um, most people uh, will be taking, especially young people, will be taking finasteride because of uh, male pattern de hair loss. Right. And um, do the sufferers report any changes in the rate of hair loss, whether that could, you know, after they develop it? Because you know, male patent hair loss is really driven by, uh, I guess, a hyper and androgenic state, you know, it's like really high testosterone and hormones kind of results in that. And then, you know, I feel like there's a lot of hormonal changes in PFS. So it seems from this. So have you, have you noticed anything about, you know, physical changes, uh, I guess on the top, you know, uh, hair wise. Right. Well, again, um, this kind of feeds back into your previous question regarding physical changes. I've noticed that for myself, there's been, um, a very marked reduction in terms of body oil. So my hair is a lot drier. Uh, My scalp Mm -hmm. is a lot drier and my skin in particular. Um, Whether this is directly related to uh, hormones, I'm not sure what the specific cause of that is. Obviously, we're in the dark regarding the specific cause of these different symptoms. But there are some patients who have reported increased hair loss or uh, slower hair loss. So um, Mm. it is really all over the map in terms of that. Uh, There are some people for whom their hair loss completely stopped, basically. That's been reported. Um, One thing that seems quite consistent with those who are observing changes regarding their hair specifically, I've I've noticed that hair dryness and, and brittle hair is something that has been has been reported. So that's something mm-hmm. I I suffer from. I have very dry and brittle hair now, whereas in the past that wasn't the case. So that's something that has been reported. Yeah. And and um you know I understand like you know cognitive problems like brain fog are common. Mm-hmm. Uh do you have PFS folks reporting like emotional anesthesia like because uh, because the PSSD people that I speak to they they Mm-hmm. They they say things like, 
I don't even feel like anything anymore. Like I don't feel anxiety. I don't feel happiness. It's just, it's like they have, you know, their emotional range is so, I mean, it's, it's non-existent. Is, is that as prominent in PFS? Because I mean, if I think about SSRIs, I mean, that drug was designed to knock out your emotions. I mean, these are mood constrictors. And so they kind of really hit you at that level. And I'm wondering like with, um, finasteride which is more of a mm-hmm. hormonal type of uh into you know medication um you know whether that creates a different a difference in terms of that experience of emotions could, could you talk a little bit about that sure so i'll speak from my own personal yeah experience with this i remember when i took finasteride on the second day i and, and bear in mind that this was a very new relationship. We were very much in the kind of honeymoon phase. And I remember being at a cafe with my girlfriend and looking at her and I felt absolutely no emotions. Now that was while I was on the drug. I mm-hmm. only took finasteride for four, for four days, but I think it's relevant to point that out vis-a-vis your question. What subsequently happened when I actually developed full blown PFS was I was in what can only be described as a biochemically induced depressive state where I felt horrifically suicidal and and depressed for no, for no real reason. Um, Psychologically speaking, it was purely biochemical. Um, Mm -hmm. But but you felt, but it was like sadness, right? You felt like it was intense sadness. It was intense sadness. Luckily that got better over time, but there was a certain numbness. There was a certain, emotional blunted uh yeah blunting so Mm -hmm. i basically lost the ability to really feel love excitement anticipation joy those those sensations basically ceased so i remember booking i used to love to travel and i booked a holiday in vietnam which is a country i had not traveled to and i felt absolutely no excitement no anticipation whereas in the past even if i was having a rough time at work or if i had you know, personal issues, I would have enjoyed, at least to some extent, uh, travel to a new country, whereas that was completely gone. Uh, personal mm-hmm. achievements, I placed in the top 10 in this uh, startup program that's hosted by the Korean government called K-Startup Grand Challenge. It's um, mm-hmm. a competition in which over 2,000 companies apply. There's a monetary prize. I got into that program, which was always something I wanted to do. I felt absolutely nothing. And then furthermore, I placed in the top 10 out of 60 different companies. Again, received a monetary prize for that. Got on stage, the Minister of SMEs, Small, Medium Enterprises and Startups gave me this award and, you know, it's a big audience. And I felt absolutely nothing. I felt no sense of satisfaction. I felt no joy. And again, just to relate this back to an earlier point I made, uh, I remember being with my family during Christmas honeymoon phase of a relationship and i felt the deepest darkest depression i've ever felt in my life and there was absolutely nothing wrong with my life externally so this is really a Hmm. biochemical problem yeah that's interesting okay but the depression is uh, i guess you really feel the depression um and you know when you've when you've talked to other sufferers from pfs Mm -hmm. um is that kind of how they experience mostly like this kind of numb depression is would that be a consistent description of the state from what you hear yeah 
Um, again, just anecdotally speaking, sure. based on what I've what I've read and the people I've spoken to in the community, there is a general kind of apathy and uh, lack of motivation, lack of energy, lack of connectedness, uh, derealization, depersonalization, um, and I think you could also lump in with that a kind of loss of aggression, at least on the part of some sufferers. Again, I don't want to universalize here, but that was something that I experienced as well, where uh, there was just this general apathy and nihilism. Um, and that, again, also included just an inability to feel any joy or anticipation or or love mm-hmm. or libido just kind of zombie-like state, an anhedonic zombie state. Yeah. Do you drink alcohol? Uh, I've stopped drinking alcohol, basically. Okay. Yeah. Although um, I have tried on occasion, and it's been a very weird experience because there hasn't been any real pleasant feeling that emerges from that. There's no euphoria. Whereas in the past, if I had a couple glasses of red wine, I'd feel euphoric, I'd feel happy and uh in a blissful state whereas that's gone now it's very strange okay yeah that that's another thing that the pssd folks talk about do you do you hear that um experience from other sufferers that they they that they become less responsive to uh intoxicants you know alcohol drugs yeah. you know psychedelics even sometimes i hmm. yeah yeah that is definitely something that that i have read about and heard from other people in the community yeah yeah i um i did an interview with uh with anmol who's a pssd sufferer i think it just posted yesterday but he did a full-on ibogaine trip you know with a massive mm. dose of it and, and essentially felt nothing you know the uh and which is it's like meant to be like the most potent mm. psychedelic and it was just mm. you know there it, there was um yeah i, I don't know his serotonin system or whatever is responsible for inducing the hallucinogens was just so unresponsive to that chemical that there was nothing um which was interesting really really interesting feature of it um and so other things that uh do you have any um gastrointestinal changes um with with pfs yeah, that is something I did observe, especially early on, where there were a lot of issues related to that um, indigestion, things of that nature. Yeah, yeah, that was something I observed. Yeah, yeah. Um, any um, um, any problems? Like, do people like, report problems with diarrhea, constipation? You know, anything like that? Um, that wasn't as much of a problem for me, but one thing yeah. that was an issue yeah. was certain um intolerance to certain things. So mm-hmm. especially like dairy, things of this nature. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um what what about like um changes in like urinating, going to the bathroom and, and you know, any any changes there or was it still mostly regular? Um, well, and again, this is kind of speculation, but I didn't need to go to the bathroom as much as, as often. Now, I just want to point out that there are some people who report the complete opposite and say that they have increased, uh, need to urinate. Um, 
So again, I don't want to speculate too much, but it feels almost as if my, um, yeah, my prostate has shrunk. I mean, it is after all a, a at mm-hmm. its root, a, a prostate, a prostate drug. So I don't want to speculate too much, but I did notice that I don't need to urinate as often. So, yeah. okay. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. Um, yeah. yeah. And I hear those changes as well. People like after I develop it, well, yeah. kind of the opposite of that with the PSSD people, mm. they talk about needing to urinate like all the time, mm. you know, and then they can't feel it uh, when it leaves right. their body, you know? Right. Right. Um, right. So, uh, Moving on from symptoms, are there any other symptoms that you want to kind of discuss that, you know, either happened to you or that you see kind of in, in the uh, community in more detail before I m- move on to ask you some other questions? Sure. I mean, I suppose when we, when you get on to talk about my, my personal situation, I'll talk about the most salient things for me. But I think really, uh, from my perspective, at least, the most devastating symptoms are really anhedonia and asexuality, I would say for me. As then mm-hmm. I would I would also say the physical issues. I mean, the anhedonia is such that there's really no life quality because I can't listen to music um and enjoy that. I can't enjoy sunrise, sunset, I can't enjoy Christmas, New Year's, my birthday, anniversary, dates, you know, you name it. Basic things that people take for granted. I am physically incapable of enjoying those things um and it really makes life miserable it makes life just kind of an imprisonment a long drawn out imprisonment in which you don't know if or when you're going to be let out essentially and then the asexuality of course you know it makes it very hard to be in a relationship when you essentially have to play act you have to you have to be this actor and things which used to come naturally small display plays of affection and things that are very common in a relationship you kind of have to force yourself to do those things because it's sort of a phantom a phantom feeling that you're left with which is devastating the same applies to non-romantic relationships so friendships or familial relationships where you can't really feel any bond anymore with those around you and it's it's devastating and puts up this kind of invisible barrier between you and other people and then finally you know the physical changes are such that it's it's very devastating it's very uh, alienating it makes you feel extremely uncomfortable in your own body whereas before you know i felt quite comfortable in my body i felt used to it i felt i could get i could derive physical pleasure from my body through a range of different activities not necessarily sexual in nature Mm -hmm. i'm also including massages in there swimming i used to love swimming in the ocean i used to love exercising whereas my body doesn't respond in the same way to any of those activities i mean i remember when i quote unquote crashed and developed pfs it was in mid-november of 2021 and i remember taking a hot bath and i couldn't feel any pleasure so there's this this general numbness and wow. that of course has implications for you know getting pleasure from a massage for example just these very basic things um yep. and then obviously the physical changes uh, in terms of genitals in terms of um you know like muscle wastage things like that it's um it's horrible yeah Okay. I think that is that that 
that really sounds like PSSD. The, you know, it's 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 like they knock out sensory pleasure. You know, you lose right. you you lose one of these core senses. You know, music doesn't sound good. You know, I, I was talking to a lady the other day who has three children. You know, going through the same thing, completely numb and pretending. You know, so she can you know not freak them out. You know, and that's uh, and that's really challenging. You know, as you could imagine, being a mother with young young children and how emotionally responsive that you have to be. Um, and okay, so let's 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 move on now. Eric, tell us about the state of recognition of PS, PFS as a as a condition, um, either by regulators or kind of its recognition in the broader medical community. Yeah, um, well, I do know that PFS is being brought up as a as an issue in various different, uh, especially amongst urologists. I know that it's a subject of discussion in various different conferences. Uh, amongst urologists in terms of official recognition with the FDA and in terms of the MHRA and the EMA and um, yeah, the national Institute of health. Um, I'm not too up, up to speed in terms of where things stand exactly right now. I do know that we, we require more scientific investigation into this, unfortunately in order to mm-hmm. uh, reach a satisfactory level of recognition for this disease. Um, I'm confident that we will get there, and it could be sooner as opposed to later. But sadly, as of right now, it isn't officially recognized um, as a condition, as far as I know. Yeah. Yeah, I, and, you know, I looked at the label the other day, at least in the FDA, and mm-hmm. it's kind of hidden in the post-marketing section. Right. down there so it says you know for some people sexual dysfunction has endured but it, it, in no way does it even come close to the kind of detail that we've just described in terms of the full constellation of symptoms and what they're like um and in fact i think um i think i don't know if it was pfs foundation but there was a big push to do a citizens petition to yeah. move that uh warning from the post marketing report section up into warnings and precautions, which is a special section of drug labels for the most important risks where um, essentially they're the risks where, you know, it would almost be negligent if a doctor did not inform you of them. You know, they're considered that every physician should be aware of these risks before giving them to a patient and obviously then informing them of it. And and that was rejected because I, because I read that and they said that they, they did not think it was, um, it was legitimate. Um, I, I know with a lot of psychiatric medications, you know, every time people have brought up problems, whether it was with suicide risk and things like that, you know, they've said that, you know, the people talking about it are Scientologists or, you know, that they have some kind of hidden agenda, you know, where they're just anti-medication. They think that, you know, everyone, you know, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. Now you should too. So I'm going to just scare you out of taking meds like this kind of you know, yeah, this 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 agenda behind raising the risks. Do do you cop that kind of flack in the PFS community, like that you're like being alarmist, trying to frighten people away from you know medication that they really need? I mean, do do you get any of that criticism? I have to laugh just because yeah. of what finasteride is being prescribed for, because it's it's something that is is absolutely uh in terms of the hierarchy of of needs it's so low i mean it's like a lifestyle cosmetic right Right? it's a lifestyle drug which you know is 
it's it's been repurposed to be a lifestyle drug when at its core it's really used for uh, bloated prostate mm-hmm. uh, and it's just ridiculous i mean i personally have seen at least 12 doctors i've seen endocrinologists neurologists urologists general practitioners psychiatrists i've seen a very wide range of doctors and most of them are not aware of, of um, a pfs uh the few that are it's sort of a a mix between skeptics and outright just denialists versus those who do recognize it as a condition, but there's a lot of ignorance amongst those who do recognize it as a condition and, and they view it more as a more a hormonal imbalance rather than something that's obviously uh, much more complicated than that. If there was a quick ho- hormonal fix, then obviously we wouldn't be here. Um, what I would say is in terms of pushback, um, I don't know what to attribute it to because obviously, as we were just discussing, um, finasteride is in this context used for a cosmetic issue. So typically from, from my personal experience, what I've noticed is there's just this general unfounded and illogical um, argument that it's simply impossible that a drug could do this. Um, and I had one experience like this with a urologist who claimed that it was completely impossible. And I would like to state that none of the reasons were rooted. Um, they'd had no scientific rooting. So he would say it's impossible because the drug would have been removed from the market. There would have been all these lawsuits. And obviously, you know, I brought a lot of evidence to show there, there have been lawsuits. And just because it hasn't been removed from the market, doesn't mean that this is impossible. And I provided a lot of studies and he wasn't interested in having a look at, at any of that. So I think by and large, it's just this general resistance based on the the idea that for some reason it's impossible that this well, could happen. On, on that point, I'm going to share my screen because on my channel, I talk a lot about how doctors are not aware of drug labels. And so what we're looking at now is the drug label for finasteride. And, you know, you're seeing these people who are saying this is not true. And right here, you know, postmarking experience says here, sexual dysfunction that has continued after discontinuation of the treatment, including erectile dysfunction, libido disorders, ejaculation disorders, orgasmic disorders, male infertility, poor seminal quality, um, testicular pain. And so, for a drug, like even though they, even though they put this, I mean, they put this in all of the drug labels. They say, you know, these adverse reactions they've been reported. You know, they're from a population, you know, of uncertain size. You know, we can't estimate frequency or establish a causal relationship to the drug. This is in all of the um, all of the drug labels, but they're not actually saying. I mean, I I think it's like wrong that it's there because it says. You know, we cannot reliably establish a causal relationship, but they they have crossed some level of causation because I'm a drug regulator. And so, you know, I worked at the FDA for a, for an adverse reaction to be listed in the label. It has to cross a threshold of a reasonable possibility of association. Uh, you know, they don't just put anything in there that people report to them through the post-marketing system. I mean, you need to cross, you know, that threshold. So, um, doctors do not read drug labels, and so you're going out there and you're and you're seeing seeing these people, and everyone else is probably having similar experiences where they're saying, you know, it's impossible, it's never happened. 
it's in the drug label, you know, the, it, it, like it is, it is recognized in there, but, but no one knows about it. And I think that's, I guess why I want to do things like this and kind of push social media pretty, pretty hard on this because we are at a turning point. We are at a place where there is at least, you know, recognition from regulators um, that yeah. this can occur. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I remember when I was prescribed finasteride, um, I, I specifically asked the doctor, are there any side effects? And I was told, uh, not really. Um, you might notice a slight drop in libido, but it will be mild. And it's mostly psychosomatic anyway. And if yeah. if it does happen, you can just stop the drug and everything will go back to normal. And, and that was the end of it. That was it when I had specifically asked about the risk of side effects. Now, if I had been told, you know, there is even just a 0.1% or a 0.01% chance of any permanent side effects, um, symptoms, I, I absolutely would not have taken the drug in the first place. So I think there are a lot of doctors who are really failing in their duty of care. And even more shockingly, there is the there are these burgeoning companies like Hims, Keeps, uh, Roman, who are telehealth I'm so, companies. I'm so very- happy you you. Br- I'm so happy you brought that up because, I mean, they're all over my Facebook page. Okay. I mean, like right. like their yeah. like yeah. their their yeah. Facebook marketing campaign is out of this world. Right, right. Um, they're yeah. they're really good marketers. Um, so. Have you guys have you guys reached out to them? And um, you know, I, I don't know if anyone's reached out to those groups and said, "Hey, you you know." the way you're pushing this is kind of reckless, you know, and just, you know, it's this lifestyle thing and it's so easy. I I don't know if you've had any encounters with those organizations. Well, I have an interesting story for you in in terms of this. So um, I had a look at their website uh, a while back, the hymns. It was actually, sorry, Mm. it was the hers website. Now I noticed that they were actually marketing uh, finasteride minoxidil, compound mixture um topical spray for women for mm-hmm. postmenopausal women now as far as i know this is something that the drug has not been approved for it has not been approved for women uh so they were marketing this to postmenopausal women and someone in the community reached out to them sent them an email and the last time i checked they stopped they stopped advertising the yeah. Nastri compound for for women. Um, but in terms of encounters with them, um, sadly, there are a lot of young men who are coming into the community because they're being told, you know, if you use the topical spray, it's a lot safer. The safety profile is great. And there's a reduced risk of side effects. Now, again, there's absolutely no basis for this because once it, it enters systemically, through the scalp into the skin, well, then it's performing the exact same function as taking it orally. There's no there's no science to indicate that using the spray topically is safer in any way compared to taking it orally in the same way that there's no real difference between taking 5-MG versus 1-MG of finasteride because it is um, really dose-independent. Um, so... It's it's really irresponsible what what they're doing, and if you have a look at their their marketing collateral, it's uh, they make really no mention of the of the risks. Um, they put out one video where they basically the format was like a Google search where they said 
you know, can I still have sex on finasteride, which is kind of a silly way of asking if there if there mm-hmm. are any risks, sexually speaking, in terms of this medication. And they had two doctors in white coats who said, you know, of course, you know, finasteride has a great safety profile. You shouldn't, you know, trust everything that you read on Google MD. Yeah. You know, it's very well tolerated and, and basically just dismissing this uh, very real risk associated with this drug. So I'm glad you brought up um, the topical sprays because I, I had that same thought. I'm just like, you know, to me, I'm like, okay, maybe it's, you know, it's, 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 it's local, there's less systemic exposure. I wonder whether like, you know, that, that makes a difference, but you're actually seeing people come into the community just from, you know, just ointment on their head. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, exactly. Even just single exposure, just one time, um, yeah. people who end up having, you know, over 10 symptoms. I interviewed someone for my YouTube channel, the Moral Medicine channel. This is someone who's in university. I believe he's 20 years old. His name is Sumer. And I, I believe he used it twice. And he has symptoms ranging from, which he talks about on, on our channel, uh, sexual dysfunction, loss of libido, anhedonia, genital changes, like really violent um, array of, of multi-systemic symptoms. I'm using it, you know, just a couple times. And of course, there was no informed consent. And even more shockingly, in his case, and this is something which I think you'll find interesting. He, of course, is entitled to his health records. So he demanded them. He said, I'd like to see my health records from you because they do have a faux kind of consultation process where you have to talk to um, a health professional who then prescribes it to you and it gets sent in the mail right and he got the internal kind of discussion and they explicitly said in the record that he showed absolutely no signs of male pattern baldness in other words there was absolutely no rationale for prescribing this to him it completely undermines the whole basis behind this this system which they which they laud where they say you know, we ensure that this drug is ending up in the hands of people who truly need it. You know, putting aside the fact that it's for a really spurious issue, a cosmetic issue, it's it's frivolous. Putting that aside for, for a second, you know, even the claim that they have these processes in place to ensure that people who actually need the drug are being given the drug is undermined by the fact that we have evidence of them saying very clearly, based on the photos that we've received from this from this um from this client he doesn't actually need this drug but we're going to send it to him anyway so well um, and then yeah well, I, I, maybe i have a lawyer he could talk to i don't know what state right. he's in but right. but that that's that would be helpful uh you know if right if there, if there was no reason for him to be on it and then he, he developed this problem you know which is recognized by the fda i'm going to assume he's american uh he may not be Swiss. but yeah, yeah then that's yeah that yeah that <laughs> sounds yeah. like a case to, that sounds like a case to me you know right yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah mm-hmm. so it's it's really a shocking uh a shocking trend and you know since these companies have arisen uh hymns started in 2018 there has been an uptick and if you have a look at their press releases and their investor relations presentations which i have 
they cite studies saying that, you know, 90% of men, when they are, quote unquote, educated about the issue of hair loss, and of course, educated is, an, is a euphemism for being told incorrectly that there is this extremely safe um, solution for male pattern baldness and that they can do something about it, according to this one study that they cite in their, in their investor relations presentations. 90% of men are, you know, happy to, to take finasteride. So they use that as, as a basis for extrapolating and saying that the total addressable market size for finasteride is in the tens of millions in the U.S. alone. So anyone can go have a look at this. They are a publicly listed company. You can download their most recent investor relations presentation, and you can see this rationale in there. So it's, it's really crazy. Shocking. Yeah. I'm going to share something again because I'm I'm just fiddling around with the label here, but so now we're down in the section for, um, let's see, uh, patient information. Read this patient information before starting finasteride, and each time you get a refill, um, as there may be new information in here. And you know, down here, interestingly enough, it says, mm. um. Decrease in sex drive that continued after stopping the medication. Problems with ejaculation continuing after that stopping the medication. Um, male infertility or poor semen quality. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. this stuff is horrific, but it is. I guess the, the point I want to make is that the experience appears to be, and this is really common with the antidepressants and things like that, even though these things are in the labels now and you know they're clearly saying, Tell people about these things. We live in a system where it's not really set up that people get this information. You know, I get drugs from the pharmacy. You know, I get drugs from my doctor. Hey, you know, any any risks for this? Nah, you know, not really. You know, maybe you know, maybe a little bit of this. I go to the pharmacy. No one even talks to me. They 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 have a little piece of paper. They slide it across the desk, and you have to check a box. You know, I have received counseling about this. Most people don't even look at that. They're just like, oh, okay, yeah, all right, whatever. And so, you know, I, I'm talking about the United States. I don't mm-hmm. know if this is the experience mm-hmm. in other places, but no, no one is talking about these mm-hmm. risks because if that is in the patient counseling information mm-hmm. where it's like everyone mm-hmm. should read this and it says, mm-hmm. you know, depression that continues after taking the drug, you know, unable to, re- you know, achieve an erection after coming right. off the medication, no one would take it. You know, right. like the majority of people right. would look at that and just go, this is crazy. Yeah. But everyone just trusts their doctor. They go, right. He would he would never expose me to this. You know, no. how could yeah, how could this drug even be on the market exactly. for this non-serious condition if it exactly. could cause enduring erectile dysfunction? And it's like right. And so I I'd love to get your thoughts on that. I mean, like what like how do you, how do you feel about the way that these drugs are being dispensed with uh, no information? Um, I guess uh, from from the boots on the ground, the pharmacists and the doctors, because at least now it's in the label. But it, it, I mean, that doesn't seem to make a difference. Mm. Yeah, no, it doesn't seem to make a difference. And you know, from my perspective, it completely ruined my life because yeah. I I essentially had that assumption that of course there wouldn't be something on the market FDA approved that could do this, especially as you said for a cosmetic issue. And I certainly didn't anticipate that someone who is a registered healthcare professional who has all the diplomas on the wall and who's studied medicine for um, 
many, many years would, would be so reckless when directly asked in no uncertain terms, are there side effects? Is there a risk with this? Um, and, you know, I have all the correspondence with, with this, uh, with this doctor, you know, after I developed this condition and, you know, it was basically a matter of just saying, oh, well, you know, this is, this is a, this is very rare, you know, this is very rare and it's, well, I would have liked to have known, even if that is the case, even taking that for granted that it is rare and we don't have any real prevalent studies. We, we do have some studies that have indicated it's around, um, it's hovering around 1%, I believe, uh, who develop some form of enduring problems after having taken finasteride. And the clinical trials show around, I, th- I believe, 3% from Merck's actual clinical trials. Uh, don't quote me on that, but I believe it's, no, it's around I- that figure. But, you know, had I known that, had I known that there was a, even just a 1% or as I said before, even a 0.1% uh, risk of any side effects, I would not have taken it. Even just dry skin, which, you know, in comparison to a lot of the things I suffer from, would, would have been enough for me to say, I'm, I'm not really willing to take something that has um, a risk of, of enduring problems. Um, and obviously I have over 30 symptoms. So it's, it's interesting. Devastating. Yeah. If, and, you, and so if there's people out there who are listening to this who have received this medication from hims or hers or Roman or any of these things and you've had a bad and, and you felt like they did not tell you about this, please reach out to me because, I mean, that's a story in and of itself. I mean, this is like something that should be blasted on the news. You know, there should be some yeah. kind of sting operation with like federal agents where we're just like, hey, there's companies out there that are actually pushing these drugs you know, there's stuff in the drug labeling that says, you know, mm-hmm. people develop permanent sexual problems afterwards and they're just giving it out and no one's, no one's even bringing it up. So if that's happened to you, I want to hear from you. Um, cause this, uh, I'm, I mean, it's just an abomination. I mean, it is so, it is. it is such bad medicine. It is, it is. And I'd like to draw your attention to uh, a couple other things. If you could please share your screen for the FDA, um, screen mm-hmm. that you, that you brought up before. I like to yeah. uh, point something out, which is quite interesting. So if you go to the top, you'll see that in no uncertain terms, it says uh, not for for women. Um, I believe that that's made very clear. Yeah, it says men only in capital letters. If you go back to the um, other screen, it says uh, it's for men only uh, right there mm. for indications and usage in men only in capital letters. Yeah. Um, and not, and they put it in bold and capital letters, not to be used by women. Now, Joseph, if you like to just open up the, the link that I sent you from the HERS website. Now, HERS are a publicly listed company for pushing this drug. If you open that up and if you scroll down to the bottom, so this is obviously HERS. It's pretty obvious who the target demographic is. For, for this company, mm-hmm. you scroll right down to the bottom and you click ah, right there. So if you go right up, there it is, topical finasteride and minoxidil spray. They're advertising this for women. So the FDA explicitly say this is for men only, not in capital, in bold capital letters, not for women. And here you have a publicly listed company that are specifically marketing this to women. Um, it's an absolute disgrace, especially when you triangulate this with 
everything else that we were discussing. I mean, it's it's out of control. Have you have you had women uh, who have developed yes. PFS? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And obviously, that's going to increase uh, very likely given uh, the marketing efforts of these companies. So. Jesus. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um. So that's it. Um, let me let me yeah. let me try this finasteride minoxidil solution. Do these? Because that's that's. I'll, I'll look at it later, but yeah, that that's an sure. interesting story in and of itself. Um, yeah, yeah. The the off the off label use of this. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, also, another personal anecdote. I remember when I developed PFS, uh, especially given how extreme my symptoms were. I mean, I had my sperm um, quantity was reduced by like ninety percent. I mean, it was just uh, harrowing. So I went to a sperm bank and I wanted to see like, you know, what had happened to my sperm quality. And they did an examination and and they spoke to me and they asked me a series of questions. And one of the questions was, you know, have you taken any medication recently? You know, why, why are you here? This was um, a very big sperm bank in Hong Kong. I was living in Hong Kong at the time. And they told me um, that it was not uncommon for them to see men who had taken finasteride and had come to see them because they had had an adverse reaction is oh, that's very common, you know? So again, you know, it's just these, these things, which, um, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I want to see where this goes so, so badly. Do I want these, these companies, um, uh, to have to, um, I guess, ma- ma- make amends or, or, you know, for, for, for what they're doing, just like pushing this stuff. If it is indeed true that they're not actually informing people of the risks of these drugs like they should. Um, and so, yeah, Eric, you'll have to send some people my way who, who have gotten PFS from, um, um, from, from these, these, these websites. I want to hear what happened to them in the consultation visits. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's a good Maybe idea. I'll try and get like a federal agent to go in there and do a sting on them or something like that. That would be great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, all right. So let, let's shift forward. Let, let's talk a little bit about you and your personal story now. Um, mm-hmm. What What happened to you? Yeah. Give Give us the high points. Um. You know what? How did you develop PFS? What were you taking finasteride for? And you know what What's happened since then? Right. Well, you know, I had a pretty, um, how can I put it, kind of perfectionist mentality. So I was very into self-development and I, um, you know, I, I started to notice that my hair was was thinning a bit. So I thought, you know, I'm going to investigate this. I'm going to see if there's anything I can do about this. So I was in South Korea at the time and I did some Googling and I came across um, this hair transplant clinic slash uh, dermatologist office. So in Gangnam, which is, you know, the heart of Seoul, um, it it looked like a very serious um, operation. So there were no red flags. Um, I booked an appointment with them and I saw this doctor and uh, I basically just said, look, I'm, curious about what I can do to kind of stave off hair loss and address this issue. He immediately recommended uh, finasteride to me and 
he just explained the mechanism of action and he kind of explained what kind of results I could anticipate from taking this drug. And then, of course, I, I asked him, you know, or is this safe? Are there any side effects? As I mentioned before, he uh, assuaged my fears. He told me it's perfectly well tolerated, safe. Um, if there are symptoms, they will be mild, rare, and temporary. That, that was what stood out to me. He said, they're very rare and they're mild and they'll go away if you stop taking the drug. So I thought that it really was uh, a win-win. So I, I took the drug for four days. I felt a little bit weird on the drug. I felt a little bit um, unstable, lethargic. And then I mentioned the aspect of feeling a little bit blunted emotionally, especially in terms of my girlfriend. So that was enough for me to notice that, like, okay, this feels a little bit weird. Um, so then I, I Googled it. I had a flight back to Hong Kong. I was at the airport flying from South Korea to Hong Kong. And I Googled the drug and I came across, you know, I had to do some digging to find this information. It wasn't readily um, available. But I did find these reviews and various different uh, things about the drug, which made me think, this is absolutely not something that I want to take. So I threw it in the garbage, didn't think about it. And I think this is a very important point because I didn't think about it. I thought, that's that. This is not something that's that I'm going to risk. So I'm throwing this away. Then it was about three or four weeks later, I believe it was four weeks later, that I started to have genital burning. And that persisted for about a week. I was really freaked out. Um, it was very disquieting. And then it was about a week after I started to have the general burning that all hell broke, broke loose. So I could barely understand what people were saying to me. I remember very clearly I was at a cafe working with my friend. And all of a sudden, I, I just could not understand what he was saying to me. And obviously, I was extremely panicked. Um, I, I said, I have to leave. I packed up my stuff. I booked an Uber to my parents' place started having brain zapping. Um, I couldn't feel any pleasure from taking a hot bath in the middle of winter, deep biochemical depression. Uh, I had songs in my head. I couldn't think properly. I couldn't understand things. I was extremely confused. It was an absolute horror show. Um, it really, it, it felt like a portal had opened up and I had just been sucked through and I'd entered this alternative reality, this hellish reality. And then over the next couple of weeks, I had this just cascade of symptoms. So some things were very quick to manifest, like explosive tinnitus, brain zapping, um, the biochemical depression, the loss of libido. But then there were other things that kind of were a little bit slower to manifest, like the reduced uh, semen uh, quantity, the genital changes slower beer growth um you know but it was just this unfolding of this of these just um, disastrous symptoms basically um that i i really had no way of anticipating yeah yeah okay and so i, I want to ask you this because there's another thing that i see in the ps pssd communities where do, when do people typically de develop pfs like is it coming off the drug is it on the drug like what what do you hear as like like the point where they get hit with uh, the full constellation 
Yeah, it's an interesting question because they have done some patient uh, surveys regarding this. And typically, I believe it's 42 days is the most common answer. 42 days after stopping the drug is when they develop PFS. So it, it seems to me that it's the minority who develop PFS while on the drug. Typically, it's once the person stops taking the drug, roughly a month or so after that, they develop PFS. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's really interesting to me, you know, that it's upon withdrawal. Um, and I, I imagine there's probably still some people that m might get hit with it when they're still taking the medication. I mean, I, um, do you hear that as well? I mean, just, just wondering. Yeah, uh, I have heard of that. Mm -hmm. It does seem to be the minority though, based on what I've, I've seen. I'm no expert on this, but based on what I've seen, it's, it's the minority who get it while they're on the drug. Um, and what's terrifying as well is that there are cases where people take it without any issues for years. In some cases, decades. Uh, there was one person who took it, I believe, for something like eight or 10 years. He took, I think, a business trip. So he had a flight. He forgot his prescription. And then he crashed because he didn't. He wasn't taking finasteride. But he didn't have any issues while he was on the drug, um, and you know it—it's not a perfect—it's not a perfect mirror of what I experienced. But my issues while on finasteride were, you know, absolutely minuscule compared to what happened after I stopped taking the drug. Yeah. Do you tell people to taper off the medication if they find your community and they and they and they're on a stable dose? Is there is there any belief that the process of tapering is? gentler and maybe less likely to result in in pfs i can't really comment on that i i personally have not seen that um mm -hmm. based on my understanding finasteride is extremely dose independent so mm -hmm. you know there, there are people who can take 5mg and have no issues and then there are people who just get exposed to a bit of the topical spray and they mm -hmm. develop pfs so i i'm not too aware of any sort of tapering protocol yeah because yeah that that's like um that that's that's similar with pssd but for some of the other problems with these medications like protracted withdrawal which is the it, it's again another neurological syndrome that emerges when people come off the drugs either benzodiazepines mm -hmm. like xanax or ssris like prozac within those communities they're highly invested in um tapering and this is what i do i think it's it's very legitimate for avoiding these these types of withdrawal reactions but yeah i'm not i'm not so sure that it would help with pssd or um, pfs but if anyone listening has any comments about that i would love to hear them in the section below um because uh, that would be really interesting um another thing is um Tell tell me a little bit about um, tra the trajectory of improvement. I guess first in yourself, maybe you could say the the month and the year you developed it, and then talk about how symptoms changed over time, and then take a broader view and and tell me about mm. what you observe in the community in terms of um, prognosis. Okay, um, this is a tricky one to answer, so I'll just stick to my own case. So for me. Um, a lot of the extremely violent symptoms did luckily go away. So things like uh, genital burning has 
pretty much disappeared, um, as has tinnitus. Tinnitus, violent tinnitus has gone away, and brain zapping, which are obviously really horrific pronounced symptoms. Um, cognitively, I have improved. Um, sexually, not really. So I'm lucky that I'm not impotent, but there's no, there's no sex drive. Um, that has not improved. Um, the physical things have not really improved. Um, so like genital changes, things like that. The anhedonia has improved very moderately, but there's no, still no quality of life. Uh, my memory has improved, um, and my energy has improved, but it's, it's such that there's still no quality of life. I mean, it's, it's still, um, a slog basically to get through each day. So. Yeah. Mentioned that it was kind of, you, you you know, you felt uneasy or that it was kind of tricky to kind of speak more broadly about what you see yeah. in the community. Why yeah. is that, um, that, that, that feels difficult to comment on? Uh, it's difficult to comment on because, um, there, there does seem to be quite a bit of variability. So there are some people who, for some inexplicable reason, they get worse. Uh, there are there are others who get worse for um, a very obvious reason. So like re-exposure or uh, they take something that is, uh, you know, contraindicated like an SSRI. There are cases mm -hmm. like that. Um, but then there are people who get who just get worse for some uh, unbeknownst reason, um, unfortunately. And then there are others who do get better. And then there are, there are some who claim to recover. Uh, it's hard to verify these things, so I think it's it's very it's it's all over the map, really, which makes it kind of hard to comment on that, yeah, and and provide yeah. a general kind of prognosis, yeah. Um, and so, okay, tell us about um the the causal theories, because you know I I've I've been on your YouTube channel, Moral Medicine. And I saw an interview that you did with someone about epigenetic changes. And mm. um, and so, I mean, is, is that what you think is going on? Is that the leading theory? Like, what are the leading theories as to, you know, what is happening in a, you know, physiologic, anatomical level, like within the actual sure. body that is causing these these symptoms? Is it autoimmune? Is it is it brain damage? Like, how, how does the, what are the, the primary theories that the community is banded around? Right. Um, well, the Baylor study, which investigated PFS tissue, found that there were uh, thousands of genes that were basically dysregulated, up and down regulated, and overexpressed and underexpressed. Um, so the, the current studies that are taking place right now in Kiel, for example, uh, under Nadine Hornig, which I, I participated in that study by providing... Um, tissue sample from my um, from my scrotum is mm -hmm. building on the findings from from Baylor uh, it has been found repeatedly from various different studies that the androgen receptor is is overexpressed in PFS patients so mm -hmm. there is obviously a, a change in respect to sensitivity to androgens which is why which would help explain I suppose why um, people are not responding to testosterone replacement therapy, things of this nature. So obviously, you know, we need more science. We need to understand better 
um, what's going on here? What what is the root issue? What what are the pathomechanisms that are driving this uh, this condition? So yeah, essentially the the current work that that I'm supporting is is building on these initial findings, which have mm-hmm. demonstrated these uh, these epigenetic um, dysregulations, basically. Yeah. And and help me just um, mm-hmm. you know I'm not a genetics expert, but I think my understanding of epigenetics is mm-hmm. when the body is exposed to you know I guess some kind of chemical in this kind of in in this case that. Um, the response of the cells can be to actually change the underlying DNA in a way that changes how, I guess, proteins are manufactured mm-hmm. by that mm-hmm. by that cell, and that could result in changing structures of, you know, say, mm-hmm. receptors. In this case, is is that mm-hmm. your understanding of of what epigenetics is, or or maybe there's a better um, way to you know way to explain it. Right. Well, I'm I'm really a layman when it comes to this, but mm-hmm. my understanding of epigenetics is is pretty simplistic. It basically, relates to uh, gene expression, <clears throat> so things like methylation and the way mm-hmm. in which a gene expresses itself. I, I am aware of the fact that <clears throat> quite a few drugs can cause epigenetic changes, and obviously, the environment itself can induce epigenetic changes, but I'm really not an expert on this. I'm I'm not an epigeneticist, but sure. yeah, the I mean the yeah. study, yeah, the the Baylor study did show that there is widespread gene. What was the Baylor study? If you could just give it to me in a nutshell. Okay, well, that was conducted by Dr. Mohit Kara, who I believe is a urologist at the University of, of Baylor, and. For quite a few years, they they studied the tissue samples, um, genital tissue samples, from I think around thirty. I think it was thirty men who were presenting with with postfinasteride syndrome, and I think they did a microarray analysis or something along these lines to study mm-hmm. the tissue samples. They found compared to the control groups that there was this uh, widespread gene dysregulation. So. Yeah. Okay. And a um, couple, a couple more things I wanted to ask you about. I know we're going long, sure. but it, it's sure. uh, it's uh, it's very interesting for me. Treatments. Yeah. What are some of the treatments that that um, that have uh, made a difference? And you know, and I'm not talking about cure, but I mean, mm-hmm. there's obviously a patchwork of symptomatic treatments. I mean, in PSSD people sometimes they're taking Viagra and they're doing different symptomatic treatments to try and kind of overcome mm-hmm. overcome the um you know live live with the condition what what do you see in the pfs community uh what are people experimenting with you know what what do some people have luck with uh well i i think the community to be honest with you my answer to this question would really be that for over 25 years the community has been um experimenting self-experimenting with a wide variety of different things. Um, I, I myself have not engaged in this because I'm aware of the fact that very often it is Russian roulette and people do uh, significantly worsen uh, their symptoms or develop new symptoms by, by self-experimenting. So by and large, I really don't, uh, I, I don't try different things. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm pretty careful about 
about um, what I consume. Um, people have experimented with all kinds of different substances, and mm -hmm. there isn't any reliable way to to make this better. Sadly, um, that has been found, you know, as far as I'm as far as I know. So I think it's really important for the community to focus on understanding this condition, understanding what is the root cause, what is driving these symptoms, what has gone wrong. And I think if we can achieve that understanding, then we can start focusing on therapeutics and how can we hopefully reverse this, which, you know, it, it's something that might be possible. Um, nice. I, I personally believe that it is possible um, mm -hmm. for various reasons. Um, you know, there are people in the community, and I think this is the same with, PSSD who experienced these windows, um, temporary remission. This is something I experienced. So I do mm -hmm. believe it's reversible. I think, you know, you know, there are a lot of um, tools now to epigenetically edit genes and control gene regulation. So if that is the core problem, I do think it's something that's addressable. But obviously, we need to get to the root of this. We need to understand this condition and sadly, a lot of a lot of sufferers, and I understand why, because they're very desperate. They spend a lot of money on on doctors who, in some cases, are are manipulating them and are are basically taking advantage of their desperation. They spend enormous amounts of money on on these consultations, which I think are are kind of misguided. I think we need to focus on really getting to the bottom of this, and also um, a byproduct of that will will mean legitimacy will mean recognition which will mean grant funding which will mean uh, more successful lawsuits um, there have mm -hmm. been a lot of very large lawsuits with accutane so roche mm -hmm. had to pay you know i think 20 million dollars to uh, just a single plaintiff i believe so that's really my focus um, i'm really focused on on the big picture I like to see this get recognized. I like to see us get grant funding. I like us to uh, completely dispel this this nonsense about this being psychosomatic. And I like to see restitution. I like to see very big class action lawsuits against not just the manufacturers, but, but also and hers. Yes, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's very important. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then I think we can chart the way to really targeted, safe, mm -hmm. and, and accurate uh, therapeutics for the community. So, yeah. So the next thing is uh, I want to ask you about is that psychosomatic comment yep. um, that you made. I have, I have seen patients with PSSD develop the condition, get gaslighted by their medical providers. You know, the medical providers turn their families against them, make them think mm. that they're crazy. And then mm. they lock them up in psychiatric units for, for delusional disorders. Do, do you guys, are you guys saying the same thing on, uh, on your side? Yeah, there was uh, one friend of mine who was sectioned. Um, yeah, yeah, for the same reason, basically. Uh, he's also a patient who uh, was given no informed consent by his doctor. His doctor didn't tell him about the risk, and of course, he would not have taken it had he known. And yeah, he developed a, a pretty severe um, form of a PFS, and and his parents did uh, did section him. So. Yes, it, it, sadly, this does happen. Um, yeah, it pretty, pretty much destroys your family after you go through an experience yeah, like that. Yeah, it, it can. It absolutely can. Yeah, it's it's horrible. 
on all. Well, ask, ask him if he'd be willing to talk with me because I'd, okay. I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to interview him about that because, because that's like, I mean, if this is not bad enough, I mean, that's where the horror show starts. I mean, that's when it's like, not only do you develop this debilitating condition, but they turn your family against you and like ruin your personal life. You know, I mean, it just, it, it's hard to think about things getting any worse than that. I mean, it's like a nightmare. Yeah, no, it, it is. It is. Um, yeah. And also, you know, I experienced this as well when I saw various different doctors. They wanted to just willy-nilly prescribe things to me, which in hindsight would have made me much, much worse. So in my desperation, you know, I saw one psychiatrist who yeah. wanted to push uh, SSRIs on me. And I, I had indicated, look, there's this condition called PSSD, and it's very similar to PFS. And if I take SSRIs, it's going to make me worse. Um, and she then recommended something else. And, and I said, what's that? And she said, oh, this this is the combination. And it only has a little bit of SSRIs. I said, you're you're just you're not listening to me. I mean, this is just well, you know, what's that saying? You know, it's like when all you have is a hammer. You know, right. every problem looks like a nail. You know, right, that's right. that's kind of all they've got. Um, right, right, right. Yeah. So, yeah. Jesus. All right. Well, yeah. Eric, um, I'm I'm about good with questions. Is there anything else that you wanted to share before we wrap? No, I think it's been a good conversation and we look forward yeah. to having you on, on moral medicine as well, of course. So Yeah, for sure. Send people my way as well, Eric. It, it's yes, been a pleasure. I'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Okay. It's been a pleasure. Okay. Yeah. Bye. Good talking to you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you want to see the full video interview, we also post these to YouTube. Just go to Wit During Psychiatry on YouTube to find those. You'll also find several YouTube exclusive videos from doctors Yosef and Marissa posted several times a week. Finally, if you need help with your drug taper, getting a second opinion, or managing your post-acute withdrawal, come visit us at witduringpsychiatry.com. Our sole focus is on helping patients regain control of their lives and achieve optimal mental health on as little medications as possible.